surprise, and happy Friday. Welcome to the first ever bonus episode of Never To Be Seen Again. Uh, in this little episode, I'm going to do something a little different. I'm not going to talk about missing persons today, so sorry if that's what you thought this was going to be. But I have a feeling that you'll enjoy this as well. No worries, though. Uh, your normal episode will be posted as usual on its usual day. Um, I just wanted to try and make your Friday a little bit better. So as some of you may have guessed, today I'm going to tell you about does and no, not the animal. Uh, I picked out two cases of unidentified does this week, and that's what I'm going to be telling you about. These does are not even in the same state, so I threw that little twist in as well. I'm really excited to tell you about these two cases, but I feel like I need to warn you before I jump into them. Um, the circumstances surrounding their deaths could be hard for some people to listen to, so uh, listener discretion is advised. But if you're still listening, uh, let's just jump into the first case. So, for anyone that doesn't know, I am actually from Louisiana, and that is where this first doe was found. Uh, when I first started doing research for this podcast, I came across this case, and it caught my attention. Um, I didn't do a deep dive into the case at the time because, of course, I tell you about missing persons cases in regular episodes, so it just didn't apply to what I was looking for. I still wanted to cover this case uh, for all of my Louisiana listeners, though, because I don't recall hearing about this case at the time. Now, I'm not from the area, the area where this case takes place, but I don't recall hearing about it uh, when it first occurred. Um, but if you have uh, heard about it, just sit back and let me refresh your memory. If you haven't, though, let me tell you about it. Um, so this is the case of the 2007 Orleans Parish Jane Doe. In the Doe Network, this is case number 864-UFLA. So on Wednesday, October 17th of 2007, police officers respond to the area of Florida Avenue and Franklin Avenue in New Orleans. It is an area near train tracks under the Alanaster Bridge. There, they find a burnt gray intrepid. Inside the vehicle, they find uh, burnt skeletal remains. Off the officers discover that the vehicle had actually been reported stolen prior to the fire. The, the fire was actually so intense that the body inside of it was fragmented and actually parts of the body were not able to be recovered. Uh, the body was so damaged, in fact, um, that facial reconstruction was not even possible in this case. What was able to be determined, however, was that um, it was the body of a female that they believed to be between the ages of 30 and 40 but her race could not be determined. So an anthropological exam uh, determined that this Jane was dead prior to the fire. Uh, it is estimated that she was deceased uh, anywhere around one to 24 hours prior uh, to the discovery of her body. 
The small piece of good news uh, in this case is that they were able to obtain this Jane's DNA. So it stands to reason that testing could be done to match her to any possible relatives. But hold on, her story doesn't end here. So in 2018, a black male by the name of Joseph Brandt is serving an 11-year sentence for burglary charges at Huntsville, uh, Texas Penitentiary. After he completes his time on those burglary charges, he is to be extradited back to Louisiana to serve a life sentence for the murder of Jessica Hawk, who was a resident of the Bywater area in New Orleans. Brandt had confessed in 2016 to stabbing and killing Hawk in her home in August of 2008. So Brandt is serving time in Texas when he requests to speak to an investigator in New Orleans. Um, he claims that he has information on three unsolved New Orleans area murders. So the Orleans Parish District Attorney sends an investigator over to Huntsville to interview him. Now, the interview lasts for about a day, and during the interview, uh, Brant confesses to the, those three murders that he said he had information on in exchange for an agreement that he would not face the death penalty in the cases. So, he confessed to the murder of Kristen Brydum um, on September 27th of 2008. Uh, Brydum was a 25-year-old social activist from San Francisco on a volunteer trip to New Orleans. Now, she was robbed of her bicycle and tote bag and found shot to death um, on the street uh, in the Upper Ninth Ward. He also admitted to killing uh, Jody Johnson on January 11th of 2008. Johnson, who was a suspected sex worker, was found shot to death and burnt and burned post-mortem in the 3600 block of Pity Street. Uh, Brant said he saw her walking in the 7th Ward, solicited her for sex, drove her to the abandoned block, and forced her to perform, perform oral sex while she had a gun pointed to her head. Uh, Brant said he then forced Johnson out of the car and into an overgrown vac vac vacant lot, I'm sorry, where he fatally shot her in the head before he poured gasoline on her and set her on fire. But most relevantly, he confessed to the murder of our Jane Doe on October 17th of 2007. See, Brant claimed that this Jane was a sex worker whom he had solicited for sex. He claimed to have threatened her at knife point and when she would not comply after being paid, he then strangled her while he attempted to rape her. Brant said he then poured gasoline on her body and set her on fire to prevent his identification and destroy evidence at the scene. So, I don't know if at the time of his confession, Brant provided... Brent provided any uh, more details about this Jane's physical description, but if he did, none of the sites that provide her information have been updated. So, 
Brent is eventually brought back to Louisiana and his attorney enters a not guilty plea on his behalf in September of 2018. So Brent starts having to go to court in these uh, in regards to these three murder charges uh, for things like pretrial motions and stuff like that. But apparently, uh, Brant is pretty fond of making a spectacle of himself and causing a disturbance in the courtroom whenever he's in there. So, for example, on January 10th of 2019, he's brought into the courtroom for some kind of uh, legal motion, and he immediately starts yelling upon his entrance. Uh, someone else unrelated to his case is uh, being arraigned by the judge when he just shouts, uh, I need to go to the to a hospital. I need to go to a fucking hospital. And of course, the judge, who had apparently witnessed the similar behavior from Brant, uh, pretty much kicked him out of the courtroom. And I don't know about y'all, but that type of behavior <laughs> makes me dislike him even more than I already did. Um, I just have to say, too, I feel pretty bad for the correctional officers who had to deal with him every day because based on that behavior, I'd venture to say that he's a difficult person regularly and I really do have sympathy for those correctional officers. Anyway, on April 11th of 2019, uh, Branton was ordered to be sent to the state mental hospital for a competency restoration treatment. After a court-appointed sanity commission doctor recommended that he be found incompetent to proceed with his case. The judge ordered his immediate transfer to the Eastern Louisiana Mental Health System in Jackson on an emergency basis. And it's the first time that this judge has ever done that in her life or in her time on the bench. So, um, Dr. Raphael Salcido who is a forensic psychiatrist, said, and I quote, It's apparent he's not able to rationally understand the proceedings against him or assist counsel. Assuming he's as sick as he presents, he really needs to be admitted to a hospital, maybe on an emergency basis, because he's created quite a ruckus. So, uh, as far as I can tell, uh, Brant is still at Louisiana Mental Health System receiving treatment. Uh, he has yet to be convicted or sentenced in those three additional murder cases, and they won't be able to proceed until he's declared uh, mentally competent or stable. And that is the story of the 2007 Orleans Parish Jane Doe and the POS serial killer who murdered her. Uh, it's important to remember, though, that even though we know who murdered her, uh, we still don't know who she is, and she probably has someone who misses her. Uh, just because she just because she was found in Louisiana too doesn't mean that she is from here. Um, so she might be from a whole different state completely, or she might be from a whole different country, because, like I said, there's not much information on her. So. Um, I don't really, I don't think we can really say where she might be from either. Um, 
And I can't help but think that uh, genetic genealogy might help identify her. Um, if y'all don't know what ge genetic genealogy is, y'all go look it up. It's this fascinating thing that is occurring right now and helping out the criminal justice world uh, in so many ways. But anyway, police also might have an idea of who she is based on Brant's confession and they're following up on these and they just haven't released any information yet. Um, so, so basically, the un it's just all unknown to us normal people. Anyway, if you have any information about who she might be, um, the Orleans Parish Coroner's Office is the point of contact in her case. And the reference case number and the contact number for the coroner's office is on her Doe Network profile. So I'm, uh, I'm really glad that I didn't do that deep dive into this case um, back when I originally saw it because I was so surprised to see that she was actually murdered by a serial killer um, and a serial killer that I didn't know of too. I mean, I usually, um, I am a true crime junkie as some might say and I try and keep up on all the serial killers but I really hadn't heard of Morant, um, and I'm really glad that I looked into her case and found out about him. I do think that it's really kind of uh, shitty that he hasn't had to answer for the murders that <clears throat> he confessed to, but I guess all in due time. Uh, I just, I'm, I am more curious to find out who she is uh, because uh, this was back in 2008, so some time has, I'm sorry, 2007, so some time has passed since she was found and nobody has identified her. Um, but that happens, I guess. But anyway, I hope you found that story as interesting as I did when I researched it. And I hope that you liked me telling you about it as much as I liked telling you about it. So before I get into this next case, and this one's not going to be a long one, um, I have to warn you again that this case may be hard to hear. Um, I'll warn you that this is a case about a child, so if the death of a child is something that you don't want to hear about, you might want to turn this episode off and just tune in for the next normal episode. So we're going to head up uh, head over to Georgia now to talk about the 1988 Ware County Little Jane Doe. This uh, is case number 15UFGA in the Doe Network. On December 21st of 1988, a logging truck driver stops near Duncan Bridge Road in Millwood, Georgia. He walks into the wooded area near an isolated garbage dump to urinate. The driver sees a wooden TV console cabinet, uh, like an entertainment center, uh, you might call it, in the woods, and he becomes curious. So he kicked the console and it broke open. Inside the, cons inside the console, he found a black metal suitcase encased in a plastic sheet. The suitcase was wrapped in silver duct tape and appeared to be sealed with cement. The driver pried the suitcase open and what he found was unbelievable. 
The suitcase was filled with cement, and inside the cement was a gym bag. When he opened the gym bag, he found the remains of a little girl wrapped in a brown baby blanket. The police were called as the truck driver cried about his discovery. It was determined that the girl was an African-American female between three and four years old. She was said to be between two foot eight inches and three foot one inches and between 23 and 27 pounds. She had black curly hair that was in a ponytail tied with a brown rubber band and she had bright bows in her hair. She was wearing white thermal pajamas, pajama pants with maroon trim and a knit pullover shirt with a red pony emblem in the upper left chest area. She was also wearing a disposable diaper. Her right ear appeared to be pierced, but she was not wearing any earrings at the time she was discovered. It is estimated that she died one to two months before uh, she was found. The cause of death was undetermined, and so her case is not classified as a homicide. It has been 31 years, and she is still unidentified. So eventually, a potential link to Albany, New York, was discovered in her case um, through the investigation process. Um, authorities then worked with a local television station in 2009 to put together a new story for the public attempting to find any relatives, um, but they were unsuccessful in finding any additional leads. So I have to say that what bothers me and probably what bothers most people who have heard uh, her case is how taken care of she seemed to be, but yet she was hidden and thrown away like trash. So there are sketches of her online and those sketches, uh, especially the newer ones, depict her as this adorable little girl. Um, and I, looking at those images, I could not imagine anyone wanting to hide and throw away that beautiful little girl. Um, she definitely doesn't deserve to be known as Little Jane Doe or Christmas Doe. She deserves to be known by her name. And my hope is that after 31 years, we finally find out what her name is. So the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, the Ware County Coroner's Office, and the Ware County Sheriff's Office are all working together in her case, and any of those agencies can be contacted if there is any information uh, known in her case. Those agency phone numbers, points of contacts, and, a case, and the case number, along with her sketches, can be found on her DOE profile. 
And sadly, that is the case of the 1988 Ware County Little Jane Doe. Let's just take a breather after that one. I'm sorry. So I hope that you enjoyed this bonus episode. Um, If you did, you know what? Uh, Tell your friends. Share it on social media. Just get it out there. Even if you don't like the podcast, don't do it for me. Do it for these two Janes or any of the missing persons that I cover in regular episodes. Because the more people that know and hear about these stories and cases, um, the better the chances are of some kind of answers coming about in any of those cases. Uh, If you're not a fan of the podcast, that's fine. Um, You don't even have to mention the podcast. Just tell people about these cases. Tell them to go look them up online. Uh, Get the information out there. Maybe we can somehow spark a new flame under these cold cases and get something solved. But um, I hope that I made your Friday a little better, even though these stories uh, were sad. Um, And if you're a regular listener, you'll be hearing from me on Wednesday when I'll be back with your normal programming. Okay, thanks y'all. Bye.